Welcome to today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, and uh, we, well, we have a guest host tonight in for uh, Michael Newton is Ernie Furt of FL Montreal. You know him, of course, as a regular contributor to the program, and this is his first chance co-hosting today's Entrepreneur. Ernie, welcome. Thank you. It's going to be fun, I hope. Absolutely. It is going to be fun. And um, let's start, I guess, by uh, the thing everyone's talking about this week. It is, of course... Um, I guess a semi-lockdown sort of situation, especially if you're in certain businesses. The restaurant industry in particular, that is on ice for the better part of the month. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, on this, um, this sort of shockwave in the restaurant industry and uh, their options for the second wave? They have to just extend the options that they had in the first wave. They have to, to adapt. Uh, they have to change. They have to adjust on the fly uh, and, and get themselves into a place where they can do takeout food and kind of differentiate themselves from the other guy down the street also doing takeout food, you know, by changing their menus and things like that. And, you know, and, and communicating probably through social media in order uh, for them to uh, have the most sales that they possibly could. And what about in terms of long-term survival? I mean, how, how long can this go on um, under these circumstances? Is the federal government help enough, do you think? Well, the federal government help is okay, but the provincial government yesterday announced some help too. I haven't yet read through it, but there is some help coming from the provincial government as well for the restaurant sector. Uh, they got to limit their expenses. They got to do what, what you do in, in, in situations where you're not making a lot of money. You got to cut down on expenses, uh, make sure your product is good and uh, do marketing in order to get it out there. And they do have delivery at least. So that's that's one source of revenue. Uh, delivery and, and pickup and curbside pickup, uh, whatever the people want at the end of the day, because you have to give them what they want, because if you don't give them what they want and you give them what you want, you may have another thing coming. This uh, story from Fast Company, the business model that could save fashion and why it isn't everywhere. Um, you're, you're a fashionista. Ernie, yeah, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this story? I think it's very interesting because, you know, what, what, what they want to do is stop the mass producing of, of, of fashion garments. And, you know, in, in the pandemic times, people are going back to basics. So it's kind of easier to make the garments instead of making high fashion garments, you're making like regular stuff. And, you know, what they're, what they're looking at is on-demand manufacturing, which I find interesting. So only when an order is placed, will there be, uh, will there be a contact made to the manufacturer who'll do it? It's kind of like almost the made-to-measure suits, uh, but on a smaller scale. How is that? How, is, how do you scale that? I mean, it's, it, seems, uh, it seems inefficient. Well, you have to. It, it seems inefficient, but at the end of the day, the efficiency is built in. Because if you go on and you manufacture a whole, like a 10,000 pieces, you won't necessarily sell all of them. So you have to factor that into your price. So doing this on-demand manufacturing, you're going you're gonna to manufacture at a smaller scale. It's going to be less waste. And uh, people will be able to get what they want. The only thing that you have to convince is you have to convince your suppliers. Speaking of um, new sort of innovative models in retail, um, this is also for Fast Company, the rise of dark stores. Um, so first, what is a dark store uh, and, and why in particular is Whole Foods experimenting with them? Well, a dark store is where they don't put on the lights. No, I'm kidding. Uh, a dark store is, is basically what they do is they take 
uh, an existing store and turn it into kind of no frills. So, it, you know, it won't be pretty. There'll be a bunch of aisles. People will, uh, people will go in there and uh, it won't be consumers that are going in there. It'll be uh, runners going in there and, and picking up all the stuff that you order online and packing orders for you. And it'll be organized in, in, in a little bit of a different fashion so everything is efficient. And it's going to be like a warehouse, effectively. So this is meant to, uh, to I guess, brace for more online sales. But are these dark stores um, meant to be at least sometimes consumer friendly as well? Or they just want the customers out? Well, it's something well the customers out. They, it, it, because of the pandemic, uh, people are switching more to online purchasing. You have, uh, I even notice at the regular grocery stores, they've carved out certain parking spots for, for online pickup orders. When you go to the grocery stores, you see a whole bunch of employees running around, picking up groceries, putting it into a shopping cart. So they're doing the shopping for you. Um, so this model is designed to do that. Uh, to, to do the shopping for you, pick out what you need, um, and then pack it up and it's ready to go when you're ready to come pick it up. It's kind of like the old car order service that you used to get at Steinberg's years ago. One thing to mention, by the way, uh, you are a tax partner at FL, Ernie. So um, the, the news this week is that the CERB payments have ended as of this week. Um, what is available for people going forward now, especially those um, who have been uh, affected by the pandemic? It's a modified uh, a modified EI program that's going to kind of echo the CERB a little bit. So people will have to apply onto that. Uh, there may be different criteria. You're going to have to people have to look at it, look at the website uh, of the CRA, and, and check out what's available to them uh, because you know they're trying to keep things going. Uh, people, you know, some people cannot work, and now with this uh, w- with this red zone that we're in. Uh, there may be even more people who will be out of work potentially. So this is not going to be anything, this program is nothing like the universal basic income that was uh, talked about for, for a no, few months? I no, I don't believe that. It, it, you know, they're, they're not there yet. Uh, eventually they may get there, but, but not yet. What's your, what's your position on that? Do you, do you think it's an interesting idea? I think it's interesting. Um, you know, it could be a disincentive for certain people to work because during the pandemic, people who were operating their stores uh, were looking to hire people and people didn't want to come into work. They were either afraid of the pandemic, they were getting money. So, you know, certain of their expenses were being covered. So they were, there wasn't a big incentive for them to go to, to go work for that money. So that it, it may, uh, it may cause that kind of malaise in the, in the community. Hopefully not, but it could, it's, it's a potential. And uh, Ernie, coming up on the show, some more resources for business, especially if you're dealing with the banks. So Patrick Sullivan, uh, trustee at FL, will be along to talk about uh, banker tolerance during the pandemic and also alternate sources of financing. So you do want to stay tuned uh, for that. But first, let's get to our profile this evening. You've seen the name. It's a longstanding shoe place in Montreal. Angelo Rubino is with us, vice president of Rubino Shoes. Angelo, welcome to CJD. Thanks for having me. So you are part of the, the retail landscape in this city. Um, first, how long has Rubino been around? And, and for those that don't know it, tell us about your business. Oh, gosh, I could talk for an hour. So let's try to cut to the chase. Uh, Rubino is a shoe retailer. So we sell branded footwear uh, for the whole family. Uh, we have 32 brick and mortar stores and an online store, rubinoshoes.com. Uh, our stores are located all in Quebec. So we're a Quebec-based company. 
we find to have a lot of success in the regions, so a bit outside of Montreal. Uh, we're in uh, our headquarters are in the east end of Montreal. Uh, my dad started the company about 35 years ago, I think. Yeah, 35 years ago. Uh, he was an Italian immigrant, and uh, here we are. I mean, uh, I uh, run the business today with my brother, um, my twin brother, actually, and my sister. So it's a family business here in Montreal. That's interesting. You know, the, 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 it, the, the business transferred from generation to generation. But you weren't always in the shoe business, were you, Angelo? Exactly. So my dad went to the uh, school of life, as he likes to say. So he did not study. Uh, I was fortunate enough to go to college. Uh, I went to law school, uh, U of M, Université de Montréal. I graduated. Uh, I took my title. I went to the, the bar school. Uh, I practiced law for about two years, but uh, the uh, retail calling was too strong. Uh, I just came back to the family business in 2011. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I was always involved. As a child, I started working in the stores. Uh, I was seven, eight years old. So for me... Uh, Retail is in my blood. Uh, that's what I like to do. So I like to say that I'm a lawyer by trade, but I sell shoes for a living. So at least you're able to use some of your legal skills in, uh, you know, when you're looking at any new locations, any, uh, any of those things, or looking at varying contracts and stuff. So that, you know, that allows a little vertical integration for you. So that's good. Uh, I understand that, that you like to own your own stores too. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. We, uh, I mean, real estate was one of our big moves. Uh, a few years back, we realized that it's better to own our four walls and uh, to invest into real estate because we were paying some substantial uh, rents for mall. So our model is to be outside of mall and uh, we usually have like a standalone building. So uh, we started projects around 10 years ago and our real estate portfolio is pretty substantial. Uh, we uh, have about half of our stores that are located in our own building. So our real estate division is Rubino Holding. And we have also tenants such as restaurants and so on and so forth. So it is tough right now, let me tell you, for restaurant business, especially in the greater Montreal area. But uh, yeah, so we're, we have uh, the division of real estate the, the shoe business, and we're also involved uh, a little bit in the restaurant business. So my family is part owner of uh, four Mr. Puffs franchise. So we were sort of diversified. And uh, on Sunday, we're opening a little grocery store in Villeray in Montreal on uh, l'avenue uh, Villeray and Drolet. So we're trying to always uh, diversify. I mean, uh, this is what we've realized. The shoe business is great, but you can't put all your eggs in the same basket, right? You can't put all your shoes on the same foot either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, so what has your biggest win been since you joined the uh, since you joined the family business? There's been so many wins. Uh, I like to win. I mean, I'm a competitor. Uh, I think well, the first move when we decide to go online, uh, my dad is pretty conservative. Uh, let's say traditional. How did you convince him? But, uh, How did you convince him? Because a lot of old no, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the funniest thing in the world. Uh, when my dad, so when we started being involved at full time, my dad said, 
He said, you guys are spending more than you're making. <laughs> so by six months, in six months, you'll be out of business. So we sort of told my dad, we're like, listen, dad, uh, you, you built this business for us. He's like, absolutely. I did this for you guys. So we're like, well, let us do what we, what we can. Either we take it to the moon or we, uh, you know, we uh, bring it to the ground. And uh, we, we decided to invest. So when we took the business in uh, 2011, let me tell you, it wasn't great. Uh, but we started investing on uh, to, let's say, uh, have a better presence online because we had a website, but it wasn't transactional. And my father did not believe that people would buy shoes online because he, according to him, you, you need to feel the product. You want to try them on. We know today that uh, over 20% of our business is done through rubinoshoes.com and we're selling across Canada. So for us to be fully integrated and to have a, an online platform and to have brick and mortar, is, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, especially in Quebec, our stores became sort of like, you know, warehouses for, for the online stores. So you see a lot of customers going online, buying shoes, returning to the store, uh, doing an exchange, buying in store. So we have that 360 solution. So that was, I think, one of the major wins. And I, I believed in social media so bad. I mean, I was on Facebook when it started. So I had created a page. And uh, my family thought it was a waste of time. You know, I was like, I was snapping pictures and I used to do everything myself. And uh, we had like 1.600 followers. And I was like, God, this is, this is awesome. How I could talk to six, 65,000. Fantastic. Just on Facebook, uh, Instagram, about 15K. So, you know, follow us. Rubino Shoes, we're on uh, Facebook, Instagram. And uh, we're doing a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, all the content is created by us. Uh, we do a lot of uh, different things, videos. Uh, so I think bringing that twist, and I think social media really took our, our business to the next level because not a lot of people knew that we moved from the traditional uh, mom and pop shop, which, which we were. Uh, my dad used to be in the private import. So we had a lot of uh, private label in store. We had not a lot of brands. So when we decided to make that move, at first it was extremely hard because those brands didn't even consider us. Uh, to get a brand like Nike or Converse or even Michael Kors, it's really hard. Uh, so when we reached out to them, the, the, there was not many brands calling back. So we had to do a big work where we decided to change our logo, uh, change the design of our stores, uh, to have a better online platform. And when we finally got one brand, when, it, when the first brand said yes, that's when all the other brands started falling and opening their doors. And uh, today we're 100% branded. So that was a big win to move away from private import, which is really tough. And you need to do a big volume to a more branded uh, footwear. And you guys could see that today, uh, most people like to wear branded shoes. Uh, not a lot of people are going towards the private uh, brands. Especially at these times, I'm sure that name recognition goes a long way. Um, how have you guys been handling the pandemic? How have you guys been surviving? And um, what are your thoughts on, on adapting the retail business models uh, going forward? Of course, listen, struggle to me is great because everybody's been struggling, especially retail. And I think struggle, through struggle, that's when we learn the most. So in this pandemic, we've learned so much and we had no choice to adapt. 
And I think Ernie said before, adapt or die. And that's exactly right. So it forced us to, you know, invest even more into our online platforms to offer free returns, which we didn't have before. And we've put our uh, minimum purchase online to qualify for free shipping to zero. So any order qualifies for free shipping. So we had to negotiate with uh, players like uh, partners like Canada Post, which uh, they, you know, they, they've put cap on our, on our account because we were shipping too many parcels a day. So it is um, for sure. I mean, it, it's been a real roller coaster, but for us, it just proved that our business was pandemic proof. Uh, I think that we were doing extremely well before the pandemic and you know, it was on, there was so much uncertainty, but because of our online store, we were able to maintain. And when the stores reopened, everybody was afraid of, are people going to come back? Well, guess what they did. And our online store kept going also. So for us, we, we, we found the, the, that it was actually good. I mean, it, you know, forced us to evolve even faster. And uh, I mean, I know it's not easy for everybody, but most retailers that are struggling today had a hard time pre-pandemic. Um, so I think it's, we shouldn't mix both things because the, most retailers that went belly up were already in a very tough place before the, the pandemic in March. You're lucky because of your how your locations work, that they're standalone locations so people can actually go to them and you're, and you're not uh, a slave of a mall or anything like that, especially at the beginning of the COVID stuff. That's exactly so. it, Ernie. And, and you said it before, you got to cut your expenses, right? So Rubino Shoes is a low-cost operator. I don't pay crazy rent to be at Carrefour Laval or Galerie d'Anjou. So already my rent because I didn't get the, the, the CERB, the secret program, Secret. because we're, we're a chain, so we, we didn't qualify for it. But still, we were able to survive because our rents were very low compared to mall-based store, and the malls remained closed for longer. So for us, it was like a plus. I mean, our stores were the only option in Granby because let's say the mall was closed and uh, our store that's a standalone, well, was open. So, I mean, we've seen tremendous growth. So some stores are doing phenomenal. Others, it's a little harder, but the online part portion makes up for it. And did you change your locations any, you know, to, to suit the people when they, to, to come to the stores? Absolutely. I mean, like when, when we started opening our stores, we wanted to be a destination. We wanted it to be easy access uh, that you can basically park in front of the door and walk in. Uh, that was always the goal. I mean, we didn't believe that mall-based stores were the way to go. We wanted bigger stores, so our stores are five to 8,000 square feet. So you could imagine the rent per square foot in a mall, that model wouldn't be possible. I mean, we'd be selling, but just to survive and pay our rents. So, I mean, for us, that, that's not the goal. Uh, we're working to pay for our building. You know, that's as long as the mortgage is paid and that's how we move forward. Yeah, because the customers have changed their behavior a bit uh, over the course of time. 91% uh, of the customers have changed their behavior habits. And they're just looking for different things in the store. They want clean. They want to see the inventory in the store. They want to make sure potentially that the business is local. You have good quality at a decent price. Uh, and you seem to fit the bill all across the board, which is... Well, you, uh, you brought up a good point. Buying local was a huge thing for us. 
and we've seen a lot of people come back to our stores. Uh, you're right. People are looking for uh, a, a good, you know, a good price. I think we're price sensitive. Uh, I think that the fact that our stores are box stores, so you can grab your size and try them on. It's not a boutique where you have to wait in line because there's only two people that can come in because it's a small store. So you could just walk in, grab your box, your shoe size, try them on. So I think that model just works, you know, and also it's been hard because a lot of our employees weren't coming back to work, especially the, the part-timers. So we're running on minimal staff. So being a box store where you could just come in and, and grab your shoe size and sit down and try them on. And you don't really need that interaction with an employee. That's another uh, thing that was positive for us. Because, you know, with the people going online, you know, you said they come in, they, they take three, four pairs of shoes, try them on, and they leave with one, maybe two pairs of shoes. But when people order online, they'll order a, possibly three of the same pair of shoes, but different sizes just to make sure that they fit because they realize, hey, I, I, I can return them and it's for free. I can return them. There's no restocking charge or anything of that nature. So that's good for you. And some of the consumers, you know, say, ah, you know what? I'm not going to return it. I can't, I don't have the time. And, or they forget about it. They put it in their closet. So that just makes more sales for you. Uh, am I yeah. right to, to make that assumption? Well, yes and no. I mean, uh, since we've put the returns uh, free, we haven't seen a spike in our returns and we haven't seen a spike in multiple items on, on one uh, order of the same uh, skew, but let's say three different sizes. We haven't seen a lot of that. I mean, to be honest with you, it's not a, an issue for us. Maybe we're lucky. Uh, I think our returns are under two, 3%. So That's great. It's, it's really great. Uh, business is good. I mean, thank God. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in, in the future. I don't have a crystal ball, but all I know is, you know what, bring it on. There's nothing that we can't uh, do. And this is why it's, uh, if we need to, we'll adapt again. And uh, that's how we do. We, we, we we have this great ability to turn around on a dime because we're a very small group. You know, we, we don't have a million people here working at the headquarters. And it's a family run business with your brother and, and sister. Is your dad still active? Absolutely. He was just about to barge in my office and yes, but he's more involved into the uh, real estate portion of the, of the business. Not so much on the retail side. And your brother and sister? My, my sister does a lot of the uh, marketing and the content creation today. She's five years younger. Uh, so, I mean, maybe she has a better understanding of what people her age are looking for. Uh, my brother is my twin. He's the more into the finance guy. Uh, so we have very different roles. And I think that's part of our success is that we don't mix. I mean, we have these board meetings, but we don't mix so I take care of my department and he takes care of his department very well. And this is why we've been uh, succeeding. Nobody steps on, our, on, our, on each other's toes. We've, we've got good shoes on, Ernie. Of course. And we're chatting with Angelo Rubino from Rubino Shoes. His one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur is on the way. But first, uh, dealing with the banks. Let's welcome back Patrick Sullivan, trustee at FL, to talk about that um, and, uh, and alternate sources of financing as well. Welcome back, Patrick. Happy to be with you guys. So Ernie, I'll let you take the lead here, but let's start, I guess, by just why it's important uh, in, in these times to just uh, keep those lines of communication with your, your banks open. Uh, I think that the, the key thing, like you say, uh, is communication. You know, bankers for the last six months have been very tolerant 
for a number of reasons, actually. The pandemic forced a lot of shutdowns. Uh, bankers were maybe not in a written format, but were asked to be very uh, helpful in uh, financial problem times. So there were a lot of deferrals, a lot of forbearance agreements that were put in place, deferred capital payments, uh, as well as obviously all the various government fundings, programs and, and, and grants that were put out there. So banks have been very tolerant. Originally, this was technically for a period of three months, which was then extended to a period of six months. But bear in mind one thing, uh, you know, the fiscal year ends of banks are October 31st. And the word out on the street is that after that, you know, there are going to be a lot more coming down on, on companies that are going through financial difficulties. What should those companies do that are going through financial difficulties to make sure their banker does not come down on them? Well, you know, part of, part of the answer is they, they, you know, you have to communicate. You have to be on the up and up uh, with your banker. Provide the bank with, you know, financial information that makes sense uh, because they're, you know, they're looking at obviously uh, ratios and they're seeing, and, you know, cash flow is the key. Uh, so obviously the whole system makes that you want to collect your monies faster than you're paying your suppliers, which brings me to these, you know, what types of alternate financing are out there. One which comes to mind that's a simple one is factoring, factoring your receivables where you will be in a position to collect your monies fairly quickly or a good percentage fairly quickly, which will enable you to, you know, sustain that cash flow and again, pay your payables slowly. So you'll be able to uh, uh, avoid having serious problems during the pandemic. Uh, you know, after the aftermath, there's going to be a lot of financing under asset-based financing programs where, you know, the assets are given as collateral, the monies are advanced on a weekly basis as opposed to a monthly basis. Ratios are a lot less looked at. So, you know, there's going to be other ways to uh, hopefully finance companies that will be able to obviously survive the pandemic, but also companies that will sustain rapid growth once we're out of this. And there will be companies that are going to be very successful because they have modified, like, like uh, uh, our, our tonight's guest, modifying the way you're doing your business in order to capture, even through tough times, uh, the possibility of increasing your business and, and making money and making more money. It just makes you more efficient. When you're looking at these tough times, you have to become more efficient. You have to, be, you have to work with what you have in order to, to make the money that you were, or try to make the money that, we, that you were making before. Sometimes you'll be successful, sometimes you won't, but at least you gotta, you gotta try. Um, but, you know, some, some businesses are kind of forced to close as well during these things, not close down, but close, uh, you know, for a, for a short period of time. And I know certain companies have something called business interruption insurance. And this is something, you know, can you address business interruption insurance? Well, Tell everybody what it is. Well, business interruption, obviously, normally people think that, you know, they, they have insurance policies on business interruption, which means either a fire hazard or a breach of machinery. 
But, you know, years ago when, when we went through the SRAS, uh, not pandemic, but the SRAS problem, many insurance companies, Canadian insurance companies, had included uh, in their uh, business interruption clause a clause pertaining to stress and pandemic situations. A lot of people don't know that inclusion might be there in their insurance policy because it doesn't come to mind right away to look at your insurance policies uh, to see, uh, am I insured in the event of a pandemic? So one of the recommendations is obviously uh, entrepreneurs should have a serious look at that because in many cases, uh, they may have coverage. It's just a question of finding the fine line that says you're covered and under what circumstances. There will be a lot of jurisprudence coming out of this eventually because people are going to challenge the, the verbiage that they have in their insurance policies and the enclosures. Thanks very much. Patrick Sullivan, trustee at FL, um, on dealing with your bank. And lastly, we turn to Angelo Rubino of Rubino Shoes. And Angelo, please, your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. So I think if you want to succeed in business today, you need to be authentic, which means to be consistently open, honest, ethical, genuine, be real, stay humble, and be grateful for what you have. And in these crazy times, always try to find a silver lining into any and every situation. That's excellent advice. Angelo Rubino, Vice President of Rubino Shoes. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. Thanks for having me. It was an honor. And thanks very much to Patrick as well. And Ernie for your first co-host job. Well done, sir. Thanks very much for joining us this week. Don't forget todaysentrepreneur.org for over a decade worth of entrepreneur profiles. Thanks so much and we'll catch you here in two weeks. Good talk.